Hi, this is John Adel from The Plant. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in 3, 2, 1. Uh, boiling water. You take a frog, you throw him in the water, and the frog jumps up. But the very same frog, if it jumps into a pot of lukewarm water that is slowly brought to a boil, will just sit there. You put the frog in cold water, you just turn the heat up, you're going to boil the frog. Well, we've been acting like frogs in cold water. I feel like we're the, the, the classic sort of, what is it, the frog in the pot that keeps getting up the boiling level and it gets up a couple degrees and you don't need, even notice it and all of a sudden you're boiling? Well, I want to hear the haiku one more time. Okay, here we go. Drum roll. A frog in water never hears it boil in time. Dude, we are that frog. Words to live by. <laughs> Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. 20 years and counting as Chicago's go-to deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday morning on Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees Strong ozone and safe sunshine Well, good planets are hard to find Good planets are in the main Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 847-475-1590 on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. And here they are. She's lean and he's green. Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Hey, happy Sunday morning to you. Good morning. Welcome to Snowmageddon, and it's all my fault. <laughs> yes, and, it is. Uh, um, you know, and if you're not in Chicago, you're not getting Snowmageddon, so other people in other places are... Not experiencing this so much. However, we had, what, uh, eight inches, nine inches of snow the other day, then a couple inches the next day, and then a couple inches the next day, and now here we are. A couple like, more inches. Uh, well, like three or four more today, because mm-hmm. uh, I went out there, and it's great. I'm happy. There we go. <laughs> so right now, this is, the guys this is, with the big, fat Cadillac Escalades aren't. Uh, They're driving at 10 miles an hour. <laughs> that's true. I know. I know. What are you going to do with, with, with people? You know... Do you know what you do You do with people like that? Shut up, Wesley. That's right. And you exactly. Get, just get out of my way. Uh, what? Yeah, what is it? Snow brings out the worst in, in, uh, in people. Um, and it is, uh, it, it, it's just, as I was saying before the show, we were talking about, we each had our own stories coming in. And basically, you got the guy who wants to do 10 miles an hour because he's scared to death. In the middle of all the lanes. Right. In the middle of all the lanes in, in an SUV that you could drive through a river. Yes. All right, so uh, you got that guy, and then you got the uh, the guy in the little sporty car right behind him who wants to do eighty because he's cool. Yeah. You know, snow. It's just a little snow. It's not going to stop him. So the two of them together are like a me- they're a menace. <laughs> they are they're a total menace. So and eh. then there was the lady who was completely reversed in a snowbank on forty one this morning, and I'm looking at her going, "How did you get there?" I always wonder about that. Now I'm going to wonder about that until the day it happens to me. 
Uh, and go, and oh. I'm, I'm hoping it never does. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, but but haven't you done that? You go down the highway and somebody's flipped around and they're in the ditch and you just think, how did that happen? Now, it's possible they got cut off by somebody. It's possible that, I don't know, they were texting texting or having a sip of beer. Uh, it's possible. You never know. Um, but most of the time I wonder, how, how did that happen? How, how did you do yeah. that? Yeah, the cop was just showing up on this one when I went past it. Ah. Okay. So it had just happened, and she had this look on her face like, how did that happen? So here's what I'm suggesting, folks. If you're listening to the show, uh, go to Facebook. We're, uh, hey, Johnny, we're going to need to to tilt and zoom in on me just a little bit there. And Turn I th- off the other one, and we're hearing Ellie through our headset. Yeah, well, I've got all the sounds coming in from uh, the control room there, so we need to turn that off. Oh, that's so much better. Thank you. Uh and uh, we'll we'll get all that. I, this is all the new technology of the Facebook Live and and their operating system here, which is ultra cool. And if you haven't checked it out, go to the Mike Novak Show on Facebook. And by the way, if you if you're going to do that, give us a like. Don't go look, reading all articles and don't give us a like. I like the page, not just the show. Like the whole the Mike. Oh, Novak now you're going to get specific on them. Yes. I know because you you want. I know. And, and, and then it, it, give us a review while you're at it too. <laughs> Yeah, that would be great as well. We got to get specific because uh, we're up against Mark Zuckerberg, who and Ew. his algorithm. Okay, it's uh, yeah. I don't want to lean against him either, but um, he's got. Oh, and I read something yesterday. I got it before before <laughs> I fell asleep at two thirty last night. Um, about all of those people that are posting on Facebook right now, they'll say, "Hey, give me a like so that mm-hmm. we defeat the algorithm." Uh-huh. Totally bogus. Yeah. Snope says, totally bogus. So all you people have wasted all, and, and people that I respect generally have been doing this, and they haven't checked it out. Now, I don't do it because I always assume it's bogus, that you can't defeat Mark Zuckerberg and his algorithm. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Anyway. All right. On the show today, oh, my goodness, have busy, we got a show. lot of stuff. Um, Karen Hudson, Dr. John Eichard, Craig Watts. Uh, talking about Illinois citizens for clean air and water. They're having their annual meeting in a couple of weeks, uh, talking about uh, CAFOs and, and, and sustainable agriculture and humane treatment of farm animals. Uh, and Dr. John Eichard, Eichard rather, is, is just remarkable. I can't wait to talk to him. And then the second hour, we have got uh, uh, Dr. Nancy Tuckman and Dr. Michael Shuck from Loyola University, Chicago, and their new really cool thing. So anyway, stick around. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. When even the Pope starts offering advice about how to mitigate climate change, you know that something's up. Pope Francis says that in order to heal the earth, we need scientific clarity, ethical guidance, spiritual engagement, and direct action. Are you ready to be engaged? No, the Pope isn't coming to town, but the McHenry County College Great Lakes Bioneers Speaker Series is. And a couple of Loyola University Chicago professors will speak about the Path of Hope, Integral Ecology for Home and Hemisphere, on February 13th. Join Dr. Michael J. Shuck from the Department of Theology and Dr. Nancy Tuckman from the Institute of Sustainability as they explore the next steps in slowing the runaway train called climate change. All events are free and at 7 p.m. in the Looked Conference Center, 8900 U.S. Highway 14 in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Call 815-479-7765 or visit mchenry.edu slash green. That's 815-479-7765 or visit mchenry.edu slash green. 
The Chicago Flower and Garden Show returns to Navy Pier this March with more energy than ever thanks to a new schedule, so pay attention. This year's theme is Flower Tales. Every garden has a story to tell. And as usual, there are fabulous display gardens built by the industry's top professionals, daily celebrity chef demonstrations, container potting parties, and ongoing STEM studio cut flower arranging classes. The Kids Activity Garden is back. And did we mention presentations led by nationally renowned experts like, oh, I don't know, Mike Novak and Peggy Malecki? Yes, we'll be there twice. Our presentation, What's Important and How to Find It, is on Friday, March 16th at 1.30. And on Sunday, March 18th, we're once again broadcasting live from the show. And this year, the Chicago Flower and Garden Show runs for five days only, from Wednesday, March 14th through Sunday, March 18th. So, get your tickets now. Go to chicagoflower.com and we'll see you there. Hi, this is Ron Calgan from Mighty House. We're on every Saturday from 7 to 10 a.m. right here live on 1590 WCGO. kidding uh, you know on a day like this this is exactly what you've got to hear uh, welcome to the mike novak show with peggy malecki and before we bring in our our first set of guests here uh, i want to finish what i was uh saying in the introduction when i was so rudely cut off by our commercials uh, 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 uh and that is in the second hour and stick around for this because they're going to be in studio if they can i i think they've got their snowshoes on and they'll be coming to the studio because they're not too far away. Dr. Nancy Tuckman, uh, she is the founding dean of the Institute of Environmental Sustainability at Loyola, Chicago. Uh, and Dr. Michael Shuck, co-director of the International Jesuit Ecology Project, professor in the Department of Theology. Uh, now, that sounds a little um, upper echelon mm-hmm. here, upper stratosphere, Uh and kind of and ethereal for a Sunday morning. Ethereal, yeah, very good. And uh, they're the co-editors of the award-winning online textbook called Healing Earth, uh, which means you can get it. You can just go online and, mm-hmm. and look at it and learn from it. And a lot of schools, universities all over the planet have been doing this since uh, January of 2016. Uh, and the cool thing is they had an audience last year with the Pope. Yes, that Pope. Pope Francis. Um, in fact, they kind of healing earth is kind of based on his encyclical mm-hmm. of a, a of several years back. So, uh, and, and they're going to be speaking at the Bioneers event next week. And that's the whole point. Well, not the whole point. I mean, we want to talk to them about healing earth, but this Tuesday they're speaking at the Bioneers event, which we have been promoting here uh, on the program at uh, McHenry County College, eighty nine hundred US fourteen in Crystal Lake. Um, and uh, they'll be at 7 p.m. On, on, on Tuesday. You're going to get a preview today of what they're talking about, and it's how to change the planet for the good, how to engage folks spiritually, uh, scientifically, uh, action items, how to how to get this done. And you really should check out Healing Earth. I've got a link to it at MikeNovak.net. Go to this week's show uh, right on the homepage, and you can find that out. So, But I want to find out what it's like to be in the presence of the Pope. 
That's never going to happen to me. Now, after my past, my checkered past, uh, <laughs> they are never going to let me within miles, a couple of miles of the Pope. That is never going to happen. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm kind of curious how that, how all of that works. That's got to be very, very interesting. So, uh, Dr. Nancy Tuckman and Dr. Michael Shuck in studio. We think, given the snow, who knows? Uh, in the second hour. So uh, I hope you stick around for that. But let's get to the first hour and our guests on the phone. And I see three lines lit up, so I assume that they're all here. Let's let's pop all of those on and start with Karen Hudson. Uh, who is a farmer and uh, a co-founder of Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water, sometimes known as ICCAW. She's a regional associate for the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project, or SRAP. Karen, are you with us this morning? I'm here. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Karen. Good morning, Karen. So good to talk to you. It's always a pleasure to have you on the show um, and you're always sending us interesting stuff because it, there's always a battle going on, it seems, Karen, uh, um, how we do things responsibly in terms of uh, our, well, livestock in, in the state of Illinois and across the country and, and in the world, of course. And that's what Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water do. That's what the Socially Responsible Agricultural Project is all about. And you've got an event. I'm going to start with, before we bring in our other guests. Um, I want to start with that just so I don't lose track of it. Okay. Uh, tell us about what's what's happening in two weeks so people who are interested might want to stop by and, and get involved. Yes. We're having our annual meeting with some wonderful keynote speakers such as Dr. John Eichert, who is also going to be speaking with us today. Um, we've got uh, students from Illinois uh, ICC, uh, Illinois Community College, Illinois Central College coming, and we have folks from across the state who are currently working um, to battle large-scale factory farms. So we are having citizens who live near these facilities participate and testify. We're having someone fly in from North Carolina, Craig Watts. Um, we've got folks coming in from uh, D.C., from Food and Water Watch, Patty Lavera, who is assistant uh, director of Food and Water Watch will talk about contract production, so folks have an understanding of how large-scale livestock facilities are working. So we're, we're going to have a well-rounded meeting with young and old, and we are offering a free buffet lunch, vegetarian or meat. And they can call me at 309-208-8846 to make a reservation. All right, or they can go... Uh, check out my website and and see what's going on. Uh, and uh, among the people you're going to have there, uh, one of them is on the phone right now, Dr. John Eichard. And Peggy and I talked to Dr. Eichard back in September of 2016 when we took our radio show in a box and we took it up to Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, when you had uh, the uh, uh, the Factory, Factory Farm, Farm Summit. Summit. Uh, Dr. Eichert, good morning. Good morning. How are you this morning? Good uh, to talk with you again. Nice to talk to you again, too. Uh, and I, I came away from that uh, Factory Farm Summit in uh, Green Bay very impressed with you, but not as impressed as I was when I sat down and read something that you just wrote and presented a few months ago in August of 2017. It was for an organization called uh, the Organization for Competitive Markets, 
And right. the title of your speech was uh, Feeding the World Intelligently Without Corporate Agriculture. And that, I, I have to say, John, it uh, it kind of blew me away, uh, what you had to say there. And I, and I highly encourage, and I was just looking at the... Uh, the link and it's not working properly, uh, so now I got to go fix it on my my website because I I want everybody to read this presentation that you did about corporate agriculture. Um, and let's 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 back up real quickly uh, before we get into that because I have uh, you made a few points that I want to talk about, and then we will get to our our other guest uh, Craig Watts uh, who is uh, patiently hanging on the phone, um, John. Uh, you started out in in agriculture at the University of Missouri in, in kind of the traditional mode, uh, teaching um, uh, your students and, and faculty about uh, what we call, well, institutional agriculture, uh, um, corporate agriculture, some people might say, and yet you – Industrial. 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 And that was actually the word I was looking for, and I couldn't find it in my head. Industrial agriculture. And you had kind of a change of heart. You sort of had a a midstream correction. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, Yes. I got my BS, MS, and Ph.D. degrees in agricultural economics from the University of Missouri. And then I... I was on the faculty at uh, North Carolina State University and then went to Oklahoma State University. And during that period of time, I was a livestock marketing specialist. And so I was out, I worked in extension, and I'd be out working with farmers. But I basically taught the farmers what I'd been taught in my academic education and then kind of the prevailing philosophy in those land-grant universities or agricultural universities at that time. And that was that farming had to become a bottom-line business rather than a way of life and that farmers had to get prepared to either get big or get out of agriculture because that's what you had to have to have economies of scale and make agriculture more efficient. If I want to jump in, that was sort of the official line, of, right. as I recall, of, of the Department of Agriculture in the United States at the time. Uh, we're talking about uh, Secretary Butts, right, who, who, who was uh, uh, fond of saying that, wasn't he? Yeah, and it was the, it was him and the you know plant fence row to fence row and tear out the fence rows because we've got to make agriculture more productive. And we're going to feed the world, and you know I bought into that as did other people at that time because at the time it seemed like a good idea because in making agriculture more efficient we create profit opportunities for innovative farmers that'd be more profitable in farming as profitable rural communities, but most important uh, we were going to make good wholesome, safe food affordable to everyone. We were going to bring down the cost of production and make good food affordable to everyone. Well, and not only well, not only that, but yeah. what they were what they were telling folks was you're going to make food affordable, but this is the only way we can do it that if we don't do this uh, world economies will collapse, the food system will collapse. We have to do it this way, right? Right, and I think that idea that you're talking about there has become even more ingrained recently than it was back then. Back then, mm-hmm. this was an innovative alternative approach, and you know, it took us a while to kind of get it in. But today, you, what you hear today is that this is the only approach. If we don't continue to pursue industrial agriculture, then you know, millions or billions of people are going to starve and this sort of thing. And this is the only alternative, that there isn't a viable alternative, which I contend simply is no longer true. 
and that's what uh, you spent about an hour, about 45 minutes explaining uh, at, at this conference uh, in August. And um, you just have so many remarkable things uh, to say about it. Um, and I wish we could go into all of them, but we can't. So what what was it that changed your mind uh, about uh, industrial agriculture? Well, in the, during what I still call the farm financial crisis of the 1980s, uh, when farmers had borrowed heavily at high interest rates during the 70s, kind of based on the expert advice is we had to expand agriculture to feed the world, and there wasn't any problem with borrowing the money. But then we got into the 1980s, and that mm-hmm. global market collapsed, and commodity prices fell, and farmers were caught with those high debts at record high interest rates, and they couldn't even make the interest payments, let alone pay off those loans. And so the family farmers out here were going broke, and then I began to see that when the family farmers were broke and could no longer make a living in the rural communities that had supported and were supported by those farmers were in desperate shape as well. They were closing up, boarding up Main Street and abandoning places. And then, so I said, look, there's something fundamentally wrong with this kind of agriculture because inevitably, if the farmers get larger, it means the farmers fewer, and that means there's fewer opportunities for families out here, and there are fewer families in rural communities. That means there's less economic activity on Main Street, but also fewer kids to go to school and fewer people to sit in the church pews and fewer people to, you know, be involved in volunteer fire departments and local governments and a whole range of things. So we were destroying the rural communities. Mm-hmm. And then it only come to me kind of after that, that what we were doing to the land, the erosion of soil and the pollution of the air and the water with agricultural chemicals and biological waste. And so, you know, I, I kind of came at the whole idea of, hey, this is not sustainable. Um, not only is it uh, you know, not meeting the needs of farmers in rural communities, but we're destroying the very foundation of agricultural productivity when we destroy the productivity of the land. So I had to say, look, I can no longer continue to support this kind of agriculture that, that I don't believe in. It's not doing any of the things that I was led to believe and that I thought it would do. It's only later that I discovered that it wasn't even providing good food for the people. We weren't feeding everybody. We have a higher level of food insecurity or hunger today than we did back in the 1960s. About one in eight people in this country are classified as food insecure, and one in six of our children are in food insecure homes. This is about two and a half times as high as back in the 1960s when we started this whole process. So I concluded, you know, it's simply not sustainable, and ever since then I've been working on what we call sustainable agriculture, which is kind of a balanced approach to farming, which says that that farming is not just a, a business, it's a way of life, that uh, sustainable farms have to take care of the land to maintain the productivity of the natural resource base that supports agriculture. It has to be good for people, not just for people as consumers, but also provide opportunities for people to make a decent living, support rural communities, and be good for society as a whole. And it, and it has to be economically viable because in our complex society, the economy is the way we meet our needs impersonally. We can't go back to you know, self-sufficiency and hunting and gathering and simply a barter mm-hmm. economy. But so we have to have ecological soundness, social responsibility to have economic viability over the long run. That's what I've been doing ever since is promoting this alternative, sustainable approach to agriculture. And as you say, in a sense, you came at it through the back door when 
Right. And, and, and there was the farm crisis of the 1980s that precipitated uh, your change of heart. Uh, and then right. as you looked at it, you saw, well, wait a second, this isn't good for the land. This isn't good for families. This isn't good for health. Um, how do we go at it through the front door? That's as, as, you, as you mentioned just now, it's even worse. We're, we're in a situation where this is even more ingrained uh, as the population of the planet gets larger. Uh, there's, there's more of that lockstep right. mentality that if you don't do it our way, it ain't going to work. And, and people are going to die by the millions. How, how do we get in the front well, I, door? Yeah, I think that's, uh, we need to wake up to the fact that that's mostly just corporate propaganda to maintain the, the status quo. In in 2014, I had an opportunity to write the the regional report to family farming in North uh, North America for the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN. It was the International Year of the Family Farm, and through that experience, I I, I become much more aware of what was going on in the international community. And in the promo for this program, you mentioned the idea of agroecology, which is very strong, which is an alternative kind of approach to agriculture, which says that agriculture has to function in harmony, not only with the natural ecosystem, but within the social systems, the communities, the societies within which agriculture functions, if it's to function sustainably over the long run. And I become aware of the food sovereignty movement, which is a global movement of uh, almost 200 countries that have signed into, which says that if we're going to have sustainable agriculture and feed the people, then we have to recognize uh, the right to food as a basic human right, and we have to determine that and ensure that right at the at the local level. Food sovereignty means the right of people to define their own food system and to all right right of want the food that's sustainably. All right, well, we need so, to take a break, uh, Doctor Eichard. We're going to get back to you. We're going to go from the general to the specific. Stick around. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Ego Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. You can now enjoy local food all season long at Winter Farmers Markets, hosted by many different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through April. Your purchase of local, sustainably produced food helps support regional farmers. The markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of diverse faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. For a market schedule and to learn more, go to faithinplace.org. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. 
Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We're very, very pleased. Hello. Very pleased to have on the phone line uh, some terrific guests that are are going to be part of an annual meeting of the uh, Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water in a couple of weeks. Uh, A little bit downstate, Uh, you can find that information by going to my website, MikeNovak.net. Karen Hudson is on the phone, Dr. John Eichard, who you just heard before the break, and Craig Watts. And and we go from Dr. John Eichard, who's talking about the big picture, which is how we have to get out of this mentality that all we have is uh, the industrial agriculture to see us through in, in terms of feeding the world. Let's get to the specific. How does that work? And that's one of the things that uh, uh, ICCAW does uh, on a local level, certainly in in Illinois, uh, shows how that system doesn't work sometimes. Uh, Let's go to Craig Watts. He's a a, a former poultry farmer uh, who who raised chickens for Purdue Farms. Um, He he was the whistleblower of the year in 2015. He's been in a couple of documentaries uh, Craig, it's an honor to have you on the show. Good morning. Good morning. You know, it's always tough uh, following John Iker, so uh, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll do my best. <laughs> but don't you have to do that again in a couple of weeks? I mean, it's not going to be any more fun then either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, uh, if folks want to know, that is Saturday, February 24th from, from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Kickapoo Creek Winery. Uh, that is 6605 North Smith Road in Edwards, Illinois, near Peoria, near Peoria, and uh, I would say uh, get your GPS out and uh, and do that. Uh, I have Craig. I have seen you in in at least one documentary, and what you did uh, was very brave because uh, you were. Uh, would you explain, by the way, what a what a contract chicken raiser does? Well, uh, initially we uh, we we go and we put up the uh the barns that the, that the chickens are housed in we own the land and we do we i think uh, on john oliver's show we have everything that costs money and the industry has everything that makes money they actually own the birds and they actually own the feed and what we do is basically we just raise them for six weeks it's kind of like chicken daycare mm-hmm. and um that's uh that's kind of it in a nutshell we don't um we don't own the birds we don't own the feed we just are basically selling our labor so if it's chicken daycare What's the problem? I mean, it, it almost sounds cute uh, to be doing that. What What's the reality of it? Uh, the reality of it is, you know, and I was like John Eichert. I started optimistic. Hey, this is, you know, the bigger, get bigger, get out. You know, this is the way to efficiently feed the world. I bought in every bit of it, but as time went on, I became more disillusioned when I found out that the farmer specifically is just a cog in the wheel and just treated as an extendable resource. I've heard, us, I've heard the term used barnyard janitor. You basically have, are, they're controlling your farm from a boardroom. The corporate agriculture companies are controlling your farm from a boardroom that's 500 miles, maybe 1,000 miles away. We call it farming the farmer. It's much cheaper to do that than to, 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 uh, to make investment in the infrastructure that we own. 
So you're being controlled uh, from a corporate office somewhere 500 miles away. What about on the ground uh, on your farm? How many chickens are there? What kind of conditions are they living under? Well, the birds are crammed in filthy and dim lit sheds. It's just, it's, uh, you know, they need to pretend that, it's, uh, that there's any good animal welfare going on there is, is a joke. But as far as on the ground, um, the... Uh, uh, I, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. What was the question? <laughs> no, but just just this kind of the conditions that the chickens uh, exist under. Well, it's, it, they're they're crammed in, in filthy sheds, and basically what you have is uh, thirty thousand chickens in a. And in my in my my case, it was thirty thousand chickens and twenty thousand square feet, which basically every chicken got as much room as a sheet of notebook paper. That's what it got. Oh my goodness! Mm. And then the the kicker is is uh is is. They, they walk around on their own waste for 24-7. There's just no way around that. That's just the way the, the uh, business is set up. And they're too heavy pretty much to stand on their legs because of the ways they've been bred. Oh, yeah, they're, 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 they're genetically, uh, well, not genetically, they're selectively bred to uh, to produce breast meat because that's what we like here in the United States. We like the white meat, the dark meat mostly is exported. But what happens is, is the, when you bred for that kind of breast meat and that kind of rapid growth, organs can't keep up, bones can't keep up. So the chickens, and, uh, you know, inherently suffer. So here, well, let's get to one more thing before I ask you about about walking away from all of this. Were you making any money doing this? No, we were we were paying bills and treading water. That's uh, that was the thing. We were supposed to be out of debt in ten years, but what they do is uh, right before you get ready to get out of debt, they want you to invest more in the buildings mm-hmm. to buy some new equipment. This new thing that's going to happen. It's going to save the industry. And they don't bring you any sort of cost-benefit analysis. There's no proof that it's going to help the birds, help your bottom line. And what it is, it's a tool to get you to go back in debt because they'll, they'll put it this way. You don't have to do it, but we won't bring you any more birds unless you do this, unless you spend this 10000 15000 In my case, I spent $100,000 upgrading to something that was not in my best interest. So it sounds like indentured servitude to mm-hmm. me, basically. Well, it is, except that I don't, I don't think indentured service, indentured service put up the amount of capital I did. I think it's worse. Ah, okay. And, and how and how many farmers are there like you in the country? Do you know? Um, last I think it's like about 25,000 that, that raised poultry under contract like I did. What about pork farming under contract? I wouldn't even know how to guess. Karen probably could answer okay. that, but I, I, don't, I wouldn't even know. Karen, do you have any idea? I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but John may. John? Hello? Johnny there? Oh, I think we might. Uh, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, don't have, on mute. I don't have the numbers on how many total capos there are. There's a, there's a publication put out by Food and Water Watch that have, keeps up with those numbers. I know, for example, in the state of Iowa, we have 24 million hogs in the state of Iowa. And I think it's about a thousand different capos here, so there's mm-hmm. just thousands of them all across the country. Well, but do, are they then all do, contract, the, do the math then at that point. Yeah. But are they all contract farms? Is that just the model in the industry, or are there some independent farmers who have large scale production too? Well, it includes the uh, the corporate owned farms as well. A lot of them are corporate owned, and then a lot of them are under contract. But even those that that aren't under contract and aren't corporately owned, if you don't basically have the same kind of facility and you really have no no access to markets if you don't produce basically the same kind of hogs under the same kind mm-hmm. of conditions. So even if the 
corporations don't know, and all the hogs are, don't have them all under contract. They basically dictate the terms of the whole industry, whether it's hogs or chickens or increasingly beef and dairy as well. Yeah. So, Craig Watts, uh, you walk away from this. You knew that had to be dangerous. You, you were threatening your livelihood. You were going to put yourself, uh, you're going to make yourself a target from from the the industry itself what what was the uh the blowback from uh, your decision uh just initially well they 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 labeled me as a rogue farmer but i had too much documentation that proved that i was actually one of their better farmers so that kind of went away and then the mm-hmm. uh the next thing was that i staged all the footage when the girl came and filmed inside the house which i did nothing but open the doors and said here it is you know there was no clever editing there was you know i wouldn't even been a part of that uh, it was it was as real as it got, but uh, that they you know they they attacked me some in the press. Uh, as far as on the farm, they they would come out. They came out quite often, more than they normally would. Uh, but I, I never really felt you know threatened or anything like that. So it, it uh, and then, and after about a year of it, I just you know, I was just I was just fried. I couldn't I couldn't take any more. I just just time to quit. So, uh, <laughs> and and what have you been doing since then? Uh, well, we still have our farm, our, uh, our road crop farm and our, and our pastures. And then um, I work as a consultant with the Social Responsibility Agriculture Project, which has been a, a great group. I've learned a lot from them on the environmental end of it. I, I, knew, I knew for farmers it was bad, you know, just from the, the, the bad contracts and, and being treated as an expendable resource. And, you know, the workers, there was an article about, from Oxfam that talked about the, they wouldn't give the workers in the plants breaks, bathroom breaks. That they were actually wearing adult diapers, and then the consumer end of it. There's several lawsuits now that are accusing these companies of colluding to keep uh, prices inflated. So, and then through SRAP, learning more about the environment, I found out that Tyson was uh, responsible for more water pollution than Exxon Mobil, and it's not even and they don't even mention anything about the air pollution. So it, there, there's a lot of bad and, and not not any positive that I can come up with. Yeah. So let's go back to you, Karen, because uh, we've you've been on the show before. And uh, that's the chicken industry. We've talked about the hog industry in Illinois. And the Chicago Tribune, uh, about a year and a half ago, did a series of of articles uh, that uh, sort of laid bare what was going on. So this is this is all part of the uh, the industry, uh, industrial agriculture, and that's why you're having this meeting because you continue to fight these things. So what's what's going on in the state of Illinois? You and I have talked about the, our our state law. Um, the, uh, the, uh, uh, leave my farm, leave my factory alone <laughs> law, right? <laughs> Which Right. We've renamed it the Livestock Management Facilities Act. Um, our acronym for that is leave my factory alone, LMFA, instead of the Livestock Management Facilities uh, Act. What I would ask you is, is going into this meeting, uh, you have a chance to make a difference because there's a governor's race. In Illinois, have you gone to the candidates and said, "Do you know about the LMFA, uh, and are you, what are you doing about it? Are you going to change this law?" Has is are any of the candidates dealing with this? Um, I think they are. In fact, um, I spoke up um, in St. Charles this past summer at a open meeting, and someone running for for governor is it Kennedy? Yes, um, mm-hmm. was there, and we spoke on the same. Um, Stage, and I spoke with his aides, and I've recently spoken with Jess Chipkin of Crate Free Illinois, and she asked, why don't we find out where all of these folks are going to be standing, because we know who's going to 
be amenable to changing this, this flawed law. So it's something that we're exploring. Uh, citizens are exploring that themselves, and they're making phone calls themselves. Before, when you asked about the numbers of uh, facilities that are under contract production, in Illinois, we don't even know how many facilities there are, period. Right. right. Uh, we've been studying that for several years, and one of the things that we're asking for is a very, very common-sense change to Illinois law that other states, such as Minnesota, Wisconsin, and to the west of us, Iowa, have in place in that when these facilities are siting, they must register their waste management plan and update it and register with the IEPA so they have a good uh, handle on where these facilities are. That has not occurred in Illinois. You know, you know, I, Karen, let, won the race to the bottom. Let me let me stop you for a second there because we're gonna, we're going to have to break here. I'm going to ask you guys to hold on to just one more break and uh, we'll we'll wrap this up. But Mike, what I would tell you, Karen, is go to the uh, gubernatorial candidates and say. Hey, we got one simple request. When you become governor, can we get, just get a list of concentrated animal feeding operations in the state of Illinois? That's all we're asking. We're just asking for a list. Let's see if they Would even you know do what that? we're talking about. Yeah. All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We will continue this conversation when we come back. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening Chicago magazine. And for the past eight years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier and more sustainable lives. Pick up a copy of Natural Awakenings each month and enjoy new information about health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Celebrate local, sustainable, humane, and fair food at the 2018 Good Food Expo. Connect with local farmers and producers, learn from renowned local chefs, shop the Good Food Marketplace, and eat delicious food in the Good Food Court. Entry is free with online registration. Don't miss the Good Food Masterclass on Fermented Foods with author Michael Harlan Turkel. Good Food happens Saturday, March 24th at the UIC Forum in Chicago. The Mike Novak Show will cover it live on Facebook. Visit goodfoodexpo.org. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. Being a meteorologist, you see things daily that can be related or not related to climate change. And then you separate that from the climate science and the social policies. So it's almost like teaching three classes. The meteorology, which is short-term, the climate, which is long-term, and then the policy, which is government, whether or not it's federal, state, or local. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate on WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. Your talk. This is your talk. Only on 1590. Your talk. WCGO Evanston, Chicago. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're going to get back to our guests in just a second. However, I have four words for you. 
This is the moment. Uh, That's the theme of the 7th Annual One Earth Film Festival, featuring 33 award-winning films at 47 venues across Chicagoland, March 2nd through 11th, and for the first time, including Indiana. This is the moment underscores the urgency of spreading awareness and taking action for the planet. In fact, that's what this show is all mm-hmm. about today. In, 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 in particular, it's, it's interesting. Um, visit OneEarthFilmFest.org for more information and to reserve tickets to all screenings, including the March 2nd Green Carpet Gala. Featuring live interviews by yours truly and Peggy. We will be there with our little cameras and our microphones and be talking to all kinds of interesting yeah. people. So if you're not there, you have a chance to watch it. There you go. So uh, we hope you take a uh, part of that. Uh, OneEarthFilmFest.org for more information. We'll see you there. We're talking to Karen Hudson from Illinois Citizens for Clean Air and Water. Dr. John Eichard, uh, who uh, is uh, touting agroecology, which I think is, um, that's going to be a a new watchword. Um, And uh, Craig Watts, a poultry farmer, uh, gone rogue, and I'm using that in air quotes, uh, Craig, um, who's actually, you went from the dark side to the light side, I think, here. Um, And we're talking about uh, the upcoming annual meeting uh, that will be happening with uh, uh, ICCAW, again, it is Saturday, February 24th, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, in uh, Edwards, Illinois. Go to my website, MikeNovak.net, for more information. Uh, we, I noticed that we got, uh, we got a notice from Jody Osmond. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was watching. Uh, Jody, how you doing? Uh, J- uh, here's, and here's how you take action. All right, this is one of the ways you take action. Jody's wife, Beth who is the co-owner of Cedar Valley Sustainable Farm, CSA, uh, in Ottawa, Illinois, is running for Congress in the 16th District. Um, And by the way, we need to schedule her back on the show. So if you guys are listening, uh, call me so we can set up that. Uh, And um, there's nothing better I would like than having a farmer in Congress Mm -hmm. uh, to talk about these issues, farm bill, talk about CAFOs, talk about LMFA. Having a family farmer. Uh, a family farmer, and I and I and believe me, I know the difference. I know LMFA is 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 local. It's an Illinois issue, and she would be con- uh, a congressperson. Still, these are things that that need to be discussed. Uh, and uh, one of the things, Karen, that uh, you told me is that there's uh, you know then there's always there's always these laws out there that uh, that the big ag is trying to get through, whether it's ag gag laws, meaning. Um, uh, in the case of Craig Watts, where you could not take a camera into uh, the barn uh, because you, you, you'd you be subject to arrest for that. Uh, or as you were telling me, Karen, in was it Iowa with the uh, the egg law they're trying to get passed there? Oh, yeah. That was... That's in Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just recently found out about that myself. There's quite a bit going on in Iowa that our legislators are in Illinois are taking note of. They recently called for a statewide moratorium on factory farms in Iowa. And they've got 15 bills that are pending right now, and they're using that a call for moratorium as a platform for reform. And yet Illinois is still under uh, what Iowa has to require for CAFOs. So we still haven't met up to Iowa's standards, and yet they are calling for a moratorium in Iowa. One of the triggers for that was the fact that uh, the Des Moines Water Works is now spending millions 
upon millions to take the nitrates out of the drinking water. Um, And these nitrates are filtering down from the northern part of Iowa, where we're seeing a lot of agriculture and industrial animal feeding operations. Mm. But the the Iowa Egg Bill is proposing that they have to sell conventional eggs in addition to humanely raised eggs. Yes, uh, folks, you know, you may walk into the grocery store these days and see seven different labels on different types of eggs. Um, That's one of the side things we do is educate people about what a label means. But this is going to provide more transparency for those out there who who want to vote with their food dollar, folks who want to send the message that we want to purchase food, purchase, you know, raised in a socially responsible way. This is just one more tool. And we're seeing more and more of these types of bills pop up across the United States. You know, if we look at how many how many steps we've taken in the last 18 to 20 years since I've been working on this issue, we have come a long way. Um, you, you may be walking down an aisle in a grocery store and now you hear an advertisement for hormone-free milk. I see labels for hormone-free ice cream. Folks, you know, with the, with the advent of the Internet, when I started this, the Internet was just getting popular. I didn't even have a computer at that time. With the exchanging of information, peer-reviewed research, mm-hmm. and educating the public, I think we're, we're walking towards the right direction, and we've all got to keep walking in that direction. You know, actually, that's a, a good point at which to, to bring in Dr. John Eichert. Uh, there is this issue, as Karen points out, that more and more people uh, are, are – well, there, there's a threat to big ag out there with people who are using all kinds of different techniques that you mentioned uh, in that talk um, whether it is, um, uh, what are the words, like permaculture? Biodynamic, organic, ecological, uh, permaculture, regenerative. There's just a whole range of, exactly. of different approaches that people and, are pursuing. And so there's a lot of people pursuing these these different methods uh, at the same time as you say that the, the – the, industrial agriculture is saying n- no. So are we getting to the point – where there's going to be a collision of these ideas, and what will happen at that point? I, I think we're at that point already. I think there are, is a collision of ideas, and I think what's prevailing is that people are learning more about the reality of industrial agriculture. And what I'd like to add very quickly about feeding the world, most people don't understand that 70 to 80% of the people of the world today are fed by not by industrial agriculture, but by smaller farms that many of them we would call subsistence farms. And many of those are practicing kind of the the idea of agroecology, and there's been research done around the world that we can double or triple yield on those small farms uh, without adopting this kind of industrial model. We can we can double or triple yields in ways that are consistent with the fundamental principles of agroecology. Mm-hmm. And I want to add one thing real quick: is that factory farms, capos, are in conflict with every principle of nature, natural eco- ecology and with social ecology. They concentrate so many animals in one particular place that nature simply can't accommodate what you're doing there. The communities can't accommodate it. It's in direct conflict with with the natural ecosystems and the social ecosystems, I mean the social systems within which we're trying to force this kind of industrial agriculture to exist, and it's simply not sustainable. It is not, and and one of the things that I think sometimes gets lost uh, when we talk about whether these systems are humane, we end up talking about the animals. These systems are not humane to people. 
and 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 you know that Craig because you had to work in one. Uh, Karen, you know that because you've lived next to factory farms, uh, and the the pe- there are human beings that are caught in the maw of industrial agriculture and spat out, mm-hmm. and that is also what we have to fight about. So don't don't kid yourselves, folks. It's not just about saving animals. It's about saving human beings as well. Uh, Craig, would you like to comment on that before we go? I just think, I think every day that we vote with our fork, and then when you vote with that fork, what kind of system are you supporting? Are you supporting a system that is bad for the environment, that exploits the workers, that exploits the farmers, that is hoodwinking the consumers with this, some money, creative labeling, and then to, and then lastly, it has the animals in such a way that there's no way uh, a good we- animal welfare, um, and that's that's kind of you know my thing is how do you vote with your fork? Because if you spend that money locally, it will circulate in that community many times over. Where the money that a Tyson makes will go to Arkansas, the money that Purdue makes will go to Maryland, yeah, and then on to Chicago. Well, so I want to. Thanks, Craig. Dr. John Eichard, Karen Hudson, thank you so much. I hope folks get a chance to show up for this, and I appreciate you being on the show. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. More to come. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Killer Asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-475-1590. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And by the way, uh, that phone number that you just heard is incorrect. We're, we're, we're in uh, the process of, I don't, I don't know. Do we know, Johnny, are we going to stick with uh, that uh, phone number that uh, we have now? Or are we going to go back to the old one? Do you have any idea? So that's that's a new deal. So, well, uh, so now Peggy, we got to record a new intro. That's yeah. a pain. <laughs> okay, we but can, we could put like a piece of duct tape over it, maybe. Uh, yeah, or we can redact it. Let's just redact <laughs> the put test tone over the beep. Call us the, at the number. That number in Chicago is eight seven 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 one one five six one one, and you can find that at. My website, MikeNovak.net. You can also find it on the Facebook page, The Mike Novak Show. And if you go to the Facebook page, give us a like. That would be really cool. Um, 
And uh, here we are, yeah, talking about uh, uh, the health of our planet in so many ways. Um, Let me make a statement about the first hour. There's no way with all those people who know so much about food systems that I can possibly say everything that needs to be said. And this is another reason to go hear them speak in person Mm -hmm. at a five-hour conference because we can't do it in in 35 minutes here on on the radio. You just can't do that. Uh, But uh, it's uh, worth the price of admission just to to run in, to bump elbows with those people. Um, In the second hour, I'm going to have the same problem. I'm going to really have the same problem because now i got a couple of PhDs in the room. And you talk about intimidating. (laughs) The pressure is on here. Uh, yeah, I'm just a radio guy. I got I got I got a lowly BA and and when I got that I said I'm out of here. I don't want any more of this academia mm-hmm. stuff. I'm I want to be a radio guy. Um and I so, got my little bachelor's of science although, journalism although, saying Although there. I got it from the University of Michigan, so I uh, you know, I got I got some credits there. Do it. Uh, go Cats. Yeah, and and we got we got a Northwestern here and you, you a couple of Big 10 teams here uh in the room, but uh in the room we have Dr. Michael Shuck. And that is how you pronounce it, correct? Correct, yes. All right. And pull that mic over. We're going to make you talk into it. Okay. All right. There we go. Whoop. All right. (laughs) And Dr. Nancy Tuckman, she is uh, the founding dean for the Institute of Environmental Sustainability at Loyola. Now, of course, we have uh, Ellie in the room, our intern, uh, who's tweeting away like crazy, who just graduated from your department. That's right. So uh, we need her mic on uh, there, Johnny. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, you're also in the Department of Biology? Yes, that's my uh, Department of Origin. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Do you do much in the biology department anymore? Not a lot, no. That's what I figured. Yeah. You're, you're kind of like, uh, and it's a good place to be, the, the department, the Institute of Environmental Sustainability, and I love what you guys are doing. We, we had uh, one of your uh, folks on just a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I'm... Um, um, Genway Zhu. Zhu, that's right. I even remember. Give me a ding. All right. Genway <laughs> uh, Zhu. Uh, and I'm very excited that you guys have a testing lab now, yeah, yeah. a soil testing lab. How cool is that? Because yeah, I'm great. also I'm an Illinois master gardener, Cook County master gardener. You get a I, ding for that? Sure. Why not? <laughs> and uh, I know the, uh, the value of finding out what's in your soil mm. if you're going to grow things. And I also know that the there's there's a number of labs that are on the list that you can get tests at but some of them are out of state i mean it's it's uh they're professional labs i love the idea that we have a local university that has stepped up and is going to do this and i'm i'm just hoping it really works out that that it is is sustainable let's put it that way yeah, huh. yeah. Uh, and that you can continue to do this kind of testing uh, at the university because it's so important for uh, especially in, in an urban place like mm-hmm. Chicago mm-hmm. because not only do you have the uh, minerals you need to look at and and nutrients in the soil but uh, pathogens and um, um, toxins that right. are in the soil as well. And so it's really, I had a lead test in my backyard uh, about a decade ago and it was scary. Okay. The result. Uh, so I'm going to do it again. I'm coming to your lab. Great. I'm mm-hmm. going to do a follow up and see what we got. And I bet it's still scary because I have a 130 year old home and yeah. all that lead paint just yeah. kind of, 
Just I have drop. no idea what's in my soil. No, you don't want to know that well, come either. Come get it tested. We'll be happy to do that for you. Uh, and uh, Dr. Shuck is uh, with the uh, theology department. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so we're we're running the gamut here. Yes. From science to spiritualism, and the that's scientist and the humanist. Exactly the scientist, <laughs> which was going to be the title of uh, my blog post until I changed it uh, to uh, "Healing Agriculture, Healing Earth." But that's the uh, title of your text, your textbook, Healing Earth, which is free online. Would you guys call that open source? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yes. yeah, uh-huh. you didn't actually refer to it in that way in the materials that I saw. But that's what I was thinking yes. as I'm as I'm looking at it. Uh, an open source textbook that is starting to be used all over the world. And that's what we're here to talk about today on the show. We're going to break in, in just a second. But I wanted to get these introductions and get you guys in here because you, you got snowshoes on, right? That's right. You all came through. <laughs> I, I, it was funny. I was looking outside. I saw you trudging through the snow <laughs> to come into the building. And I'm glad nobody fell down. But, you know, if you did, you just make a snow angel at that's that right. point, and then And then you move forward. Okay. That is uh, Dr. Nancy Tucker. And Dr. Michael Shuck, uh, they're both from Loyola University, Chicago. They have put out an award-winning online textbook called Healing Earth. Last year, they visited the Pope. Come on. <laughs> really? All right, we're going to talk about that. I want to know what the Pope is like. Give me, give, the, give me the inside dirt. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll talk about all of that when we come back. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty, you no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. When you visit the Art Institute of Chicago and you're drawn in by the Dutch Masters, are you looking at their clothing or their dinner plates? Dr. Jim Nienhuis from the University of Wisconsin-Madison says we have a lot to learn from the way veggies looked 500 years ago. And he'll tell you about it at the McHenry County College Great Lakes Bioneer Speaker Series. On February 27th, Nienhuis will do two presentations. At noon, he'll speak on Renaissance art and vegetables. At 6 p.m., the talk is about women farming cooperatives in Central America, where he has worked in Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, and Costa Rica. I've interviewed Dr. Nienhus in the past, and you know what? He lives at the intersection of science and entertainment. All events are free, and at 7 p.m. in the Looped Conference Center, 8900 U.S. Highway 14 in Crystal Lake. Call 815-479-7765 or go to mchenry.edu slash green. This is your talk. You want to just put in hashtags in any of your social media. Hashtag 1590WCGO. Evanston, Chicago.
music for shoveling? Yeah. You know, if I uh, if I can't get serious, I might as well get funky. That's uh, <laughs> what we're going to do here. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Very pleased to have in the studio a couple of people who are going to be speaking uh, this Tuesday at McHenry County College in Crystal Lake. Uh, the, the the title of their talk is Climate Change. No, no, I'm sorry. That's the, the Loyola. Uh, yours is the Path of Hope uh, Integral Ecology for Home and Hemisphere. Now, what does that mean, folks? Uh, well, I guess that's what we're going to find out in about the next half hour or so. Um, but Dr. Nancy Tuckman and Dr. Michael Shuck put together an online textbook that we were mentioning before the break called Healing Earth. And I, and I want to start there uh, because... Um, I, I'm a huge fan of open source material. Uh, I know that in the 21st century, what we're all supposed to be doing is figuring out a way to monetize the Internet. Uh, and I'm using air quotes here. Those people on Facebook Live can actually see it. There we go. Um, but you guys said, no, it's more important that we get this out to uh, educators and the public. Um, how how was that decision made? Well, we th- this idea came from our previous president, uh, Father Michael Garanzini, and he really saw a need for people at the margins of the world, people who don't have enough money, um, maybe don't even have a school. But if they can get themselves to, let's say, um, a public library in a city or a community place where they can get on the internet, they would have free access. You don't even need a password. You just have to know. You have to Google Healing Earth and know the the title of the textbook in order to in order to get it. And and it really was. It, it is. It continues to be a project of the whole Society of Jesus because there are people from around the world that have contributed to it, and and it's designed to be available to people around the world who don't have access to to textbooks frankly yeah and you and you cover everything in there uh i i i actually uh popped a quote from uh the the website there uh on my own blog last night and it was a, a message to teachers and it basically said don't be intimidated by everything that's here you're not going to be able to to teach everybody everything just go with something important, you know, uh, uh, Mike. Um, uh, th- those are wise words uh, because you do cover a lot of topics, don't you? Yes, we do. It's a modular textbook, so you can mm-hmm. you can take, a, say, the science section and, and drill down on that and use as much of it as you want. Use it as a supplement to maybe a text you're already using and then move to the ethics area. Or if you want to try to generate more kind of affective awe-inspiring love for the earth you could go to the spirituality section and work mm-hmm. with that with your students so you can you can move in the direction you feel is is best for your students well and you mentioned something that i think is very interesting about this it's not just science you're bringing spirituality at, at, you know you work in the department of theology uh and how do you marry the two how do you, how do you bring science and uh, spiritualism together to move forward on this planet? You know, my I channel the energy of John Muir and Aldo Leopold, our heroes in environmental movement. So when you say spiritual, you're not talking about religious necessarily. It no, might, no, it might no, be, no, but you know, it... And, and for John Muir and, and Aldo Leopold, who were both... Well, Aldo was a scientist, environmental right. scientist. Yeah. And he was the leader in environmental ethics. 
and he was an environmental activist. But he would have been the first one to say, the first thing you need is to love the earth. That's a spiritual dimension, the meaning dimension. When you love the earth, you do your science the right way, you do your ethics the right way, and you're activated in the right way. Your spirit is is uh, generated. Mm-hmm. So that's really that's. So we feel that that element is very important. Um, it doesn't discount science, ethics, or action, but it's 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 like the source, the energy source. Mm-hmm. In your introduction, you're talking about Rachel Carson, John Muir, Jane Goodall, and you said that you know more people will care for the earth if people develop spiritualities that honor the sacred, and the sacred being something that you're not going to harm. Right. And you know what it is, Peggy? It's we are trained to think in threes, mm-hmm. see, judge, act. The earth is crying for us to see and to think in fours. See, judge, reflect, and act. Mm. And without the reflection piece, we're we're going through life like Wayne Gretzky on an ice rink, and it's fast, and it's real functional, and it works for financial markets, and it works for the economy. It does not work for the earth. You have to have the reflection piece. Why? Because, well, here's where I agree with Donald Trump. The game is rigged, but it's not rigged the way he thinks. It's not, it's not rigged against the Republicans. It's mm-hmm. rigged against the earth. And this quick see, judge, act Thinking in threes is a rig against the earth because it doesn't challenge the system mm-hmm. that is rigged against the earth. When you stop to reflect, now you've got the possibility to critique the system, see, judge, reflect, and act. Now the earth has a chance. So we have that in there to give earth a chance. Yeah. Well, I I would add that, and uh, perhaps I'm wrong, that part of the problem is that there's a – uh, another consideration in that it's something I mentioned a little earlier when I talked about monetizing the Internet. It's the money involved in everything, mm-hmm. and that's all part of the, the non-reflection because the quick fix is always how do I make some cash and then I'll move on. And instead of reflecting, yeah. it's all about w- what am I putting in my wallet at exactly. this point. And I think that's one of the things that's killing us. Yes, uh, that's absolutely right, Mike. Yeah. Our economy is really designed – um, to continue growing and making more money mm-hmm. and increasing our GDP. And the way that we do that is by exploiting natural resources in nature and also typically exploiting the poor to make products that get sold and then we produce waste at the other end. And we keep trying to push that unidirectional economy from exploitation and and mining of resources to making products, and and that's really what's so unsustainable mm-hmm. about our economy. Well, yeah, one of the things you're you're mentioning here is is the idea that I not enough people again talking about reflection reflect that our resources are finite, the planet is finite, even even capitalism is finite. We can't the stock market, for example. We watched a correction this week. Who knows what will happen? Tomorrow morning, we have no idea. And there's more air quotes there. Uh, (laughs) Correction. We don't know where that's going. But if you're an investor, the idea that it can go up forever uh, is, is just not true. Uh, it's there's something's going to happen. It's the, it's, it's going to change direction at some point. So looking at the planet, we don't have infinite resources. So we have to figure out how to conserve those. We, we don't have the capacity to keep making 
junk. We talk about this on uh, our program all the time. It's that we have to change the model of how we manufacture. Uh, 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 I'm sure the words cradle to cradle show up somewhere um, in Healing Earth. Uh, Who's paying attention to cradle to cradle? Certainly not the big manufacturing companies, even though they've known about it for 20 years now and have been been aware of the damage uh, not adhering to that Mm -hmm. causes. So... How do you get heard in 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 all this noise? Uh, uh, I'm, I was very happy to see you. You sent us a list of places that have begun to uh, adopt this mm-hmm. this uh, this tome, the 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 textbook that uh, you have online. But in the scheme of things, that's a small number of people. How how do you, do you just keep putting one foot in front of the other? Is that how it works? <laughs> well, I think the education system worldwide can have enormous impact. You know, if if you can infuse this way of thinking, this sort of circular economy way of thinking into the education system worldwide, and, and frankly, we're behind on this. Most of the mm-hmm. other countries are already working towards this. The EU is right now working on a circular economy um, for all of the EU, and that's that's inspirational. That's exciting. We're behind in the U.S., but I think our youth really want this. They want to be part of the solution. They don't want to be part of the problem. Uh, That is uh, Dr. Nancy Tuckman, also in studio, Dr. Michael Shuck from Loyola Loyola University, Chicago. They're going to be speaking this uh, Tuesday at uh, McHenry County College. Uh, And if you're interested, it's uh, 7 p.m. at the Lucht Conference Center, 8900 U.S. Route 14 in Crystal Lake. When you guys were this, it's very interesting. We're going to get to the Pope in a second here because I, 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 I'm just fascinated by the whole papal audience thing. But as you were putting your textbook together, this is when the Pope's encyclical came out. So I, I imagine you were influenced by that, and and you continue to be influenced by things that happen in the world. So, for instance, you're writing a textbook. The Pope comes out with uh, his encyclical letter about the planet. And you say, "Oh, that's that's uh, we can we can use that." Uh, then, amazingly, after you publish, the uh, American politics goes to heck in a handbag uh, in the 2016 election, and this has to be a huge roadblock in terms of because w- what you're dealing with is positive energy, spiritualism. Um, I often get accused of being the pessimist on this show because what I do is my job par- partly is to point out. This is wrong. You need to fix it. I don't necessarily have all the answers. But how how important is this roadblock uh, to what you're trying to accomplish? Well, fear is not a good place to begin in solving any problem. And right now I think we're running on fear. Mm-hmm. And I think what we try to do with the with the textbook is encourage stu- uh, teachers to teach students how to how to take to step back from fear. Yeah. And to look positively and to reflect, um, because I know for my students the most important thing in their lives, and maybe the most important thing in all of our lives, is positive relationships. We all want positive relationships. Yeah. So underneath the fear, that's what we want. Now, how do we achieve that with one another and with our earth? I believe everybody, really down in, in the in the depths of their heart is striving for positive relationship between themselves and the earth. They want leadership. I know our students do. Help me. Where, where do you find that leadership? How do you overcome the fear? 
Yeah, that's well. I mean, because you're mm-hmm. right. I think I think you 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 nailed it. Okay. Um, yeah, this is not a, a a good place to operate from. This is not uh, this the the idea that you're it's it's a negative starting point. The the fear where we should have a, a positive starting point. So, you guys wrote a, a text that, that at the time uh, was going to be difficult enough to to um, to get across. Now it's even harder. Um, and I, I I'm I don't know how to break through that fear right now. It's it's you know that's I have a radio show here and 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 my goal is to get people to think in different ways and come at mm-hmm. it from different directions and maybe that's the idea. It's it's this this the cliche of thinking outside the box. We have to think outside the fear yeah. right now. Taking yeah. some action to break that fear. Mm-hmm. I was in um Bonn, Germany for the COP23 meetings, the the international mm-hmm. climate negotiations and of course the United States wasn't there this year. Um, we, right. did, we didn't have any official legislators that were members of the um, the organization, but the, America was there. The United States was very present in a very big way with an organization that's called We Are Still In. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that there are thousands of businesses, corporations, universities, cities signed off by their mayors and governors who have signed up the entire state to follow a climate action plan for those organizations that will meet or exceed the Paris Agreement. And just that's what makes me hopeful is that there are people who are, even though we're not being led at the federal level um, towards combating climate change and saving our planet, there are so many people within our citizenry that are really moving in that direction and understand the, 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 you know, the gravity that we're dealing with. If you were to add up all of the economies of all of the organizations, including Loyola University Chicago and the city of Chicago, that have signed on to the We Are Still In movement, that economy is the third largest in the world, second only to China and the full of the U.S. So it isn't a small group of people in the U.S. that is working towards climate action. That's the positive side of it. The negative side of that is how unfortunate that we have to work against our own government to make this happen or work around. It's, it's a work around. We're yeah. working around. Mm-hmm. They're a roadblock. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost as if you want, to, you want to kick them in the shins yeah, and say, just get out of the it, way. It's like that Escalade doing five miles an hour occupying two lanes of the road this morning. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Except that the person behind him wants to do eighty, but uh, and that's not a bad thing when it comes to understanding what we need to do. On on the other hand, though, Mike, as you say, we need to reflect. We need mm-hmm. to look to look at our world situation, reflect on it before we act. I I, I was blessed to spend time at Standing Rock, and every morning at seven thirty, you got up and went to the prayer circle, and there was a t- ten or fifteen minute prayer time every morning before the day started. And the day ended that way. It was a prayer. It was a spiritually mm-hmm. based place that was a social energy there was electric. Yeah. By the time I left, there was 18,000 people there and the cars were, were end on end coming into the camp. It was a magnet for people all around the United States yeah. and the world to come to, to finally express this positive energy for the earth. Now, we think it's over, but it's not. There's over 25 pipeline protests going on every week in this country that would not have happened were it not for Standing Rock. Yeah. 
There's right. people being arrested every week who are saying no to, to uh, fracking. So there's positive energy. It's happening. And, and what's interesting, and we need to break here in just a second, what's interesting is I almost need to explain what Standing Rock is because it seems like a million years ago. Oh, my God. It, it, was, it, was, <laughs> 20, it was, well. yeah, it was 2016, and we had Dallas Goldtooth come into our studio and talk about it, and yeah. he had just come from the camp. And I want to talk to you about your experience a, a little bit, uh, Michael Shuck, uh, uh, at, at the camp. But, yeah. There are pipeline protests. We talk about the Enbridge Five line under uh, the Straits of Mackinac uh, and on and on. All right. We will continue this conversation. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Time to kill the vampires and phantoms. No garlic or wooden steaks necessary. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Energy generation or power plants are one of the largest sources of pollution contributing to climate change. 5 to 20% of our home electric bill comes from vampire or phantom energy use. Most of our electronics remain on standby even if they're off. Anything that has a little light on somewhere, like a charger, is still sucking up energy. Cable boxes are among the worst offenders. There are some smart strips that help by allowing you to turn things on and off on a timer The U.S. Department of Energy offers some tools to help you get to know more about your energy use. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and, of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. If you garden in or around Chicago and you don't have a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I'm a little worried about you. That's because you're missing out on not only the garden magazine for our region, but one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, as well as articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, and What to Do in the Garden. Of course, there's my column on the inside back page of every issue, but into each life a little rain must fall. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere, but go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. we got a lot to get to, but Peggy's got something for you before we get back to our guests. Mm -hmm. I have four words for you and four words for everybody. Okay. This is the moment. That's the theme of the 7th Annual One Earth Film Festival, featuring 33 award-winning films at 47 venues across Chicagoland, and it's happening March 2nd through 11th. And for the first time, we've got venues in Indiana as well. This is the moment underscores the urgency of spreading awareness and taking action for the planet. Visit OneEarthFilmFest.org for more information and to reserve tickets to all screenings, including the March 2nd Green Carpet Gala featuring live interviews with Mike and Peggy. Yay! Yay! See you there. And you can watch it on Facebook, too. So that is OneEarthFilmFest.org. All right. And uh, in the studio, we have Dr. Nancy Tuckman and Dr. Michael Shuck, uh, sometimes known as Mike. 
Uh, <laughs> there's a couple of mics here in, in the studio from uh, Loyola University, Chicago. Uh, they have put together an award-winning online textbook called Healing Earth, which is an action plan. Uh, I guess in some ways it's an educational plan and an action plan for our planet. Um, you mentioned being out at uh, Standing Rock. Um, how did you end up going out there? Well, I have. I'm from Fargo, North Dakota, originally. Oh, so, well, so, there you uh, go. I, yeah, uh, trends and associates, and so I just felt really compelled to go out and just uh, see what it was all about and, and participate. It was a startling and really transformative experience for me in my life. It was really. How so? Uh, well, I was a little nervous going out, thinking because I, I had known there'd been some violence and there'd been arrests, and it, there were some, there were ugly things going on out there. So I wasn't sure what I was getting myself involved with. My son and I, Franz, were, drove into the camp, and the native fellow that asked us who we were and where we were going said, "Welcome home." Wow! And, and that was so oh. startling. Welcome home, and. It was unexpected, but yeah. it really touched me, and Just and it was home. Totally set the tone. It t- set the tone. I met people from all over the world. There was a French chef there from Paris who had a f- who had a five star restaurant in the camp, and mm. he'd, he'd mm. never he'd never cooked venison before, so he was he was loving it. There were so many wonderful people there, who were friends of the earth, learning from native people um, about that indigenous spirituality that's so important. So it, it was just, I got there and it was transformative. All right, transformative. I think most people would look at that episode and say that the protest failed. I get the feeling that you look at it and you say it it succeeded. Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, It was was Because because the pipeline is getting built, Mm -hmm. and that was the goal. Or was that the goal to stop it? Or was it just to call attention to it? Well, there was a larger treaty land issue, which yeah. is mm-hmm. ongoing, has been going on for 100 years. That'll continue. Uh, there is uh, LaDonna um, Braveheart, who owned one of the Sacred Stone Camp. There's now, she's building a permanent eco-village there. So there is something mm-hmm. there okay. that's being built uh, that people are going to to visit to learn about the environment, learn about water protection. So those things are ongoing. But I think what it was, was it the hope that was generated by seeing your compatriots and thousands of people, like-minded people who want to protect the earth. That was the From that all was over the that world. was the secret mm-hmm. sauce, yeah. and that went out over the country when it when it they did. Left. And <laughs> we were all affected by it, and, yeah. and I think it, it it has a ripple effect. Yes. All right, and you're bringing that to the Loyola conference coming up March 15th and 16th. Um, it is what the fifth annual the climate fifth change annual climate change conference, right? Yeah. Uh, called Climate Change and Human Health: 21st Century Challenges. Um, uh, Dr. Tuckman, tell us a little bit about, about the conference. Well, we run this conference annually in, in an effort to raise awareness about um, environmental issues, climate change in particular, but any kind of environmental sustainability issue. And um, we've really seen a growth in uh, the number of people coming and participating. So it seems to be something that people want to learn more about and also want to know how can they uh, apply their own agency to help with the problem. Uh, and, uh, Mike, you're bringing your experiences at Standing Rock to bear at this conference. Last year we had a panel uh, with Takata Iron Eyes, who was uh, one of the 14 women that actually began the movement at Standing Rock in the spring of 2016 so it was it was really compelling to see a young woman talk 
very profoundly about her experience in that panel. So this year we're bringing, uh, drawing attention again to women, uh, particularly the plight of indigenous women um, uh, in the fracking areas, uh, abuse and murder of indigenous women, missing indigenous women due to the man camps uh, reality out on. on, on What is a man camp? Those are the camps that predominantly men are going to, to work on the oil rigs, to work on the drilling, to work at the fracking sites. So you have, uh, at least in up in the Bakken region of North Dakota, which is very barren, and there's an Indian reservation mm-hmm. out there, but the influx of anywhere from three to 4,000 men <laughs> all in one place. And uh, the result of that has been devastating on, on the fate of, of indigenous women, and not only there, but if you saw the movie Wind River, uh, this is a, was a really compelling mm-hmm. motion picture of the same phenomenon in Idaho. It's wherever you have the, these drilling man camps, uh, you have this problem. And, and I assume that the, these women are not being protected by uh, the security forces on the reservation or law enforcement on res- reservations. They're off the they're off the federal grid. The the you know reservation police do the best they can, but they're they're not capable yeah. of dealing with the, the crisis. When when we were talking yesterday, you said that um, because it is a sovereign nation, they don't show up in the missing persons lists. Mm. There, there's no way to track anybody. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there's literally hundreds of indigenous women at this moment that are missing, presumed dead. Uh, one of the women that's coming to our conference this year is um, Lisa Yellowbird Chase, and she has an organization in Fargo, North Dakota, that um, is devoted to, tr- to keeping a list of missing indigenous women, but then also trying to track down, trying to find them and track them down. Uh, it's a you know a nonprofit organization uh, called Shawnish Scouts and. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it's not the only organization. There are others, uh, but it's a serious problem. And that's not the only thing that will be discussed at uh, the uh, the conference. Then uh, there will be um, a plenary panel on climate change, catastrophic weather, and human health. And speaking of catastrophic weather, we'll have Rick DeMaio. In fact, let's see if we can get Rick DeMaio on, on the phone now, Johnny. Uh, so bring him in here um, and. Uh, uh, we are still in why and how U.S. leaders remain committed to Paris, as mm-hmm. you were talking mm-hmm. about, Nancy. Um, uh, climate change knows no borders. Canada's approach, climate refugees in a changing world. There's a lot of different topics that will be going on there. Um, and this is open to anybody to attend. It is. Yep. The registration site is uh, at Loyola University Chicago's website, uh, luc.edu backslash climate change. And I've got the uh, information and the link on yeah, my website, on Mike Nope, and we pop it on Facebook as well. All right, let's get to the Pope. Yeah, <laughs> let's hear about the Pope. <laughs> let's hear about the Pope. Uh, uh, save the best for last here. Uh, how's how's old Francis doing? Is uh, be he, frank to them. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, what was that experience like? It must have been uh, pretty amazing. It was amazing for me. Um, I'm not Catholic, but I was really moved by meeting the Pope because I see him as the world leader on environment and um, human justice issues around environmental devastation and degradation. So to be able to meet him and to be honored, to have this Healing Earth book honored by the Vatican was was very, very special. Um, I have a, a short story. When we were in Vatican Square, in, P- in P- St. Peter's Square, when he was giving, um, you know, his remarks to the audience, 
there is a time when you can put up little things and the Pope will bless what it, mm-hmm. whatever it is that you have. And people bring right. a lot of little memorabilia. And I pulled up Healing Earth, the, the e-textbook on my cell phone, and I held it up. <laughs> and, you know, he was blessing everything. And then later on, I asked one of the priests a technical question. I said, you know, does this count? Because it was my, <laughs> it was my cell phone. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, if your intention was good, if you're not going to go sell the thing under uh-huh. the fact that, you know, the Pope blessed it, then, then yes, he has blessed healing earth. <laughs> oh, well, okay. I thought he, he had blessed the cell phone and now you have to burn it. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. That, that, uh, is that the way that works? Hey, look who we've got on the line. That is meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Let's just bring in all the university people from uh, Loyola here. Uh, Rick, some of your colleagues are here in the studio, Dr. Nancy Tuckman and Dr. Michael Shuck. Uh, say hello. Um, hello, Nancy. Uh, Michael, I've never met you before, but we're meeting on the radio. Great. Hello. Uh, Hi, Rick. Hello, Nancy. Mike, I just want to let you know, Mike Novak, um, I was on the phone with my mother from Florida. She wanted to know how I was handling the snow, listening to the radio. When I heard you say, we need to get Rick on the radio now, my mother heard that and she says, you got to go. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mom. <laughs> there you go, Mom. Mom always, your parents are always, they're, they're, they're always your parents. I think I, I tell my students that all the time. you you got to always listen to your parents, and that's one of the hardest things about being a teacher is, Making the students realize that they're one step away from being an adult, but also they're they're still basically part of their family at home, and and that uh, and that's becoming more and more difficult these days. I think we're going to be breaking in just a second, but I wanted to bring you in to to make sure that yeah, uh, we get yeah. the introduction here. And we were talking about the Pope. I assume you've never met the Pope, mm-hmm. uh, Rick. I, I, I've never met the Pope, but um, I'm going to definitely make sure my cell phone is fully charged the next time I go visit uh, Rome based on what Nancy just said. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, a, that's a great story. And, and, and being in the theology department, Mike, uh, what was that like for you? Oh, it's very powerful, yeah. You know, we all meet people every day, and we see people kind of look past us. But uh, when you meet the Pope, he looks right at you. you <laughs> he he mm. makes eye contact, and uh, and he had a just a very generous mm-hmm. smile and a vigorous handshake and he he's a charismatic guy isn't he, he he was and he was very he was present you know he was really present he's meeting a thousand people a day but you feel like he's present to you so that's yeah. that's quite a <laughs> well and that's that's the positive energy to that you were referring to earlier yeah. is that you want you want to surround yourself with positive people i've talked about this in terms of uh, okay showbiz um there's a lot of people out there who are successful but not as talented as other people and the reason they're successful is people want to be around them, mm-hmm. and they like mm-hmm. working with them. And that works, mm-hmm. I think, in all fields. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, Rick, you've seen that, and I think you in the mm-hmm. room here. You want faculty mm-hmm. that are a joy to be with because you know that's infectious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's and that's part of this positive energy Energy, yeah, yeah that you have. And, and uh, again, the textbook is called Healing Earth. I want you guys to stick around for uh, Mr. DeMaio's... Uh, uh, report here uh, and I hope and I know that Rick's mom's listening so <laughs> let's let's be really careful here it's the Mike Novak show with Peggy Molecki we've got uh, climate and weather coming up next stick around 
Celebrate local, sustainable, humane, and fair food at the 2018 Good Food Expo. Connect with local farmers and producers, learn from renowned local chefs, shop the Good Food Marketplace, and eat delicious food in the Good Food Court. Entry is free with online registration. Don't miss the Good Food Masterclass on Fermented Foods with author Michael Harlan Turkel. Good Food happens Saturday, March 24 at the UIC Forum in Chicago. The Mike Novak Show will be covering it live on Facebook. Visit goodfoodexpo.org. It might be winter, but you can still visit Farmer's Markets, hosted by many different Chicagoland houses of worship on select Saturdays and Sundays from now through April. Your purchase of local, sustainably produced food helps support regional farmers. The markets are organized by Faith in Place, a nonprofit which inspires people of diverse faiths to care for the earth through education, connection, and advocacy. For a market schedule and to learn more, go to faithinplace.org. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. The Chicago Flower and Garden Show returns to Navy Pier this March with a new five-day schedule. This year's theme is Flower Tales. Every garden has a story to tell. You'll enjoy fabulous display gardens, chef demonstrations, container potting parties, cut flower arranging classes, and family activities. Mike and I will be there twice. Our presentation is on Friday, March 16th, and on Sunday, March 18th, we're broadcasting live. This year's Chicago Flower and Garden Show is happening from March 14th through March 18th. Get your tickets now at chicagoflower.com. I'm not going to say who that's <laughs> dedicated to uh, in Washington, D.C., but uh, let's, let's yeah. just uh, move right along here. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with uh, Peggy Malecki. Uh, happy to have Dr. Nancy Tuckman in studio with Dr. Michael Shuck. And, and again, I uh, rem- want to remind people they're speaking this Tuesday out in uh, Crystal Lake at uh, McHenry County College at the Luke Conference Center, 8900 U.S. Route 14, uh, 7 p.m., the Path of Hope, integral, integral, I wish I could say that word, ecology for a home. At least I'm not saying integral, all right? <laughs> integral ecology for home and hemisphere. Um, and on the phone, we have meteorologist Rick DeMaio. And let me just say something right now while I've got all you guys uh, here in studio and on the phone is um, uh, how terrific I think the environmental um, sustainability department is at Loyola. You guys are just doing some terrific stuff, um, uh, and um, and and Rick, I'm I, I'm sure you'll agree. But uh, you know, from doing lab testing to to biofuels to the the text uh, healing earth to the conference conferences uh in fact I, rick i think you and i met uh in person for the first yeah, we did. Uh, in 2008 at a loyola conference oh wonderful and mm. i just i grabbed yeah. i mm-hmm. said rick nice to meet you hey i'd like to do some radio and 10 years later <laughs> here, he, here he is right still doing this 
And, That's great. And I, and I think, Mike, it took me about five seconds to say, yeah, I'll do it for you. <laughs> I, I, you need to be a little more selective, pal, okay? That's all yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, and and, and let, let, let's make this continue to be clear for free as well. I don't get any money for this. I do it for the love of the education, the love of the show, and the fact that Mike is the only station, um, I think, in Chicago – uh, that's doing this. And you know what? That's a shame. There should be more. And the fact that you're doing this, Mike, I think I always say every once in a while is, is fantastic. And to have someone like Nancy, who is the, uh, not only the, the, the dean, but the creator of the Institute of Environmental Sustainability, that, that's a big, big job. And I know, I don't think she has many days off during a week. Even when she is <laughs> off, she's not off. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, and, and let me, I have to say this real quickly, guys. Last week I was not here uh, because I was in the Bahamas, okay? And um, I didn't even tell my students that because the last thing I want them to, to hear is the fact that I took a weekend and I went away for two days. But my brother and his wife rent a house every year on the southern tip of the island of Exuma. They were, in, they, were, they were inviting my parents down there for the weekend from Florida. My brother kept saying, Ricky, I need you to fly down just for two days just to help out. So I flew down on Friday morning. I flew back last Sunday. So I was snorkeling last Saturday and Sunday, and now I'm shoveling. But it was (laughs) interesting to know. (laughs) I know. it It was interesting to know where we were. We were right in the path of Hurricane Matthew. Mm-hmm. which went through there in October of 2016, mm-hmm. there was a 10-foot storm surge on the south end of that island, and the house right next to where we were staying was completely destroyed. They were then hit by Hurricane Irma last year, and I always make it a point, whenever I travel to some of these faraway places, I love to ask the natives, the people who have been there for a long period of time, what is the weather like? And sure enough, when I asked two different Bahamian gentlemen, they were well into their 60s, have the hurricanes gotten worse here? They basically took a step back, looked at me, and they go, yeah, man, every year we have to prepare for the worst. Mm-hmm. That, to me, is the single most thing I will remember from that trip, is not that they're getting worse, but we have to prepare for the worst every year. And mm-hmm. that's a shame that they have to do that. That is fascinating. Uh, And while I'm thinking about it, uh, speaking of of foreign lands and going on trips, you're going to be in Iceland again this year, and I'm going to make my pitch once more to get Peggy and me on that trip because we want to broadcast this show live from Iceland. So, Nancy. uh, I see where this is going. Yeah. uh, You you got to pitch this to Dr. Tuck, but I have nothing on this. I I still got to make sure that I get – that I get 10 people for the trip. I think right now we have four, but it, there's it's two more right here yes in the that. studio. <laughs> there's two more and we'll pay. Uh, we, I just want to be able to do this show live from Iceland. How cool would that be? That's um, a great idea. So we're going to talk. If you recall, I was in the middle of a hike last year. Yes. And I called in. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I actually, I actually talked to you guys from Iceland and I promoted, I promoted the class and, and what Loyola was doing. Um, and it, and it's always, It's always a challenge because the class that I teach, which is Environmental Science 224, it's climate change and climate variability, is is to me the most challenging for me because particularly during the spring semester, I have 40 and 42 students in my two sections, and I always make sure I look down the list and I see what the students' majors are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hello? percent Oh. are non-scientific majors. Can, can you repeat that percentage, seniors. Rick? You cut out. 
You cut out for okay. a second. I, I would have to say out of those 40, out of those 40 students, probably 90% are non-science, ah. which means that I have seniors, I have seniors who are non-science majors who in their minds, they're just getting their three credit class out of the way. <laughs> and it's really hard to make sure that I'm educating them and making sure that they're not using this as just a blow off class. And it's, and it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard sometimes to convince non-science majors of a science that they need to be caring about. So that's a difficult part from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's well, we're, we're going to talk to Nancy uh, afterward here about that because uh, we'll be part of the trip. Now, last week you said you weren't here. We had uh, Pat Sketch. Love Pat. Thank you, Pat, right. for mm-hmm. filling in. And he gave us statistics about the snow. And we, he has to throw those out the window this week because <laughs> we doubled our snow amount at least, right, in the past week or something like that, close to it. Right, Rick? Um, yeah, almost triple. I mean, we had 18.6 inches of snow since last Saturday. Uh, we had nine. So yeah, I guess you can say we doubled it, but we're actually now two inches above normal, um, (laughs) for the season. And the good thing is that we don't see any more snow for probably the next five or six days. So whatever, whatever it took to get rid of the snow off the streets and cars and things like that, um, we don't have to worry about for the next five days. But what we're most concerned about is that there's absolutely zero snow. Uh, in many of the states out west. And unless they get into a pattern that's going to be colder and snowier, we're looking at a serious drought heading in the summertime, mm. and that usually leads to serious wildfires as well. California is down almost 12 inches of precipitation. Much of Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, and parts of Montana is down as well. That's the area that we're most concerned about. We don't have problems when it gets into the summertime. Yeah, we can get drought and heat waves like that, but it's the western U.S. that's a bit of a concern, and, and that's some of the things that my students are actually doing. They're actually doing projects on Yosemite, Colorado National Park, um, Olympia National Park. This year we're going up into Alaska to do in Denali, and then we're continuing to look at Florida. The other group is actually looking at the Everglades and seeing what not only the the short-term climate impact is, but also the long-term as well. So it's not just teaching a three-credit class, but it's literally getting these students involved from week one so that they really feel like they're getting into the weeds and into the local level and not just thinking about the class for three hours a week. It makes it more interesting for them and also makes it more interesting for me as well. And and the point you're making, and we'll need to get to the forecast here in a second, the point you're making is yeah. that you can look at Chicago, it's just Chicago or it's just Detroit. Right. That, that doesn't tell you anything right. about what's happening in Colorado or California or right. or Saudi Arabia or Australia. Um, and, and, well, and I, well, well, well we, we, do, we do the national parks at the midterm and at the end of the semester, they do the international cities. So I tell them at the beginning of the semester, I go, I'm going to make you work, but at the same time, I'm going to make you learn as well. All right, give us a quick forecast. <laughs> uh, snow ends in probably the next two hours. Temperatures in the 20s tomorrow, 30s Tuesday, near 40 on Wednesday, and then colder again by the end of the week. But nothing in the way of any big storms for about another five or seven days. Uh, we did all right with that. Thanks a lot, Rick. I appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank our uh, guests, uh, uh, Dr. Nancy Tuckman and Dr. Michael Schock, uh, Dr. John Hurd, Craig Watson, Karen Hudson. Until next Sunday, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. 